Hello and welcome to the Sleep Meditation for Women podcast. I'm Katie Kremitzos. I'm the creator of the Women's Meditation Network and your guide here. I am so deeply honored that you took the time to be here with me tonight. This episode is made possible thanks to the generosity of our sponsors. And after a message from them, we'll begin tonight's meditation. If you would like to listen ad-free, become a premium member by following the link in the show notes. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey mama, as we spend some extra time celebrating you this month, I want to make sure that you know that we have an entire podcast on the Women's Meditation Network dedicated to you. It's called Meditation for Moms, and it's available on your favorite podcast player right now. We even have a special Mother's Day series with daily meditations specifically designed for you, for the mama during all of her mothering seasons, beginning on May 6th and ending with a very special Mother's Day meditation on May 12th. So follow Meditation for Moms now, everywhere you get your podcasts. As someone who uses guided meditations to fall asleep quite a bit, just like you, I know how important it is to feel soothed by and connected to the voice guiding you. So I want to share with you another lovely podcast that you can add to your library called Calm History. It's created by my friend Harris, whose low, soft voice lulls you to sleep as he tells you stories from history. Each episode is narrated in a calm voice to help you relax or fall asleep. So make sure to subscribe to the Calm History Podcast now by searching for Calm History wherever you get your podcasts or at silkpodcasts.com. And now here's a sample episode of Calm History that I hope you really enjoy. Welcome to episode number 16 of Calm History. This is a spotlight episode featuring the Great Pyramid of Egypt. I'm Harris, 
and I created this time machine of tranquility to bring you the drama and excitement of history, but in a calm tone, so you can just chill and relax. Alright, today's episode is about the Great Pyramid of Egypt, or the Great Pyramid of Giza. I'll begin with a bunch of fun facts about this massive pyramid, such as how tall is it? How many stone blocks does it contain? How much does the whole pyramid weigh? And other curiosities. I'll then explain what ancient historians, like that old man Herodotus, thought about the Great Pyramid. Herodotus and some other old dudes did get some facts correct, but they also made up a lot of strange stuff. I'll also walk you through the entire inside of the pyramid so you can visualize all the chambers, passages hidden inside. And I'll finish by sharing some different theories on how the pyramid was constructed. Okay, time to begin today's historical tale. I hope it distracts and relaxes your overactive brain squirrels. The Great Pyramid of Giza This impressive pyramid located in the city of Giza, is the largest pyramid in Egypt and the tallest ancient pyramid in the world. It is believed to have been built as a tomb around 2560 BC or BCE for the Egyptian pharaoh named Khufu or Cheops. This is why you may also hear this pyramid called the Pyramid of Khufu or the Pyramid of Cheops. It is the oldest of the seven wonders of the ancient world and the only one to remain largely intact. Initially standing at about 147 meters or 480 feet tall, the Great Pyramid was the tallest man-made structure in the world for more than 3,800 years. If you are ever asked if the Great Pyramid is taller than it is wide, make sure you say no. At ground level, the width of each side is about 1.6 times longer than the height of the pyramid. Let's keep these fun facts rolling. The pyramid was built with about 2.3 million stone blocks, which were an average weight of 2.5 tons each. The largest stone block in the pyramid is quite massive, weighing about 80 tons. 
These stone blocks were held in place with about 500,000 tons of mortar. Overall, this results in the total weight of the pyramid being about 6 million tons. So how long did it take the Egyptians to build such a monumental structure? Most agree that it was a 20-year endeavor, which, if true, means that they must have moved 12 stone blocks into place every hour, night and day. All right, let's now find out what some of the ancient historians had to say about this pyramid. As expected, this massive structure was not ignored by ancient historians. Although they often disputed each other and relied on questionable sources, they did get some facts correct about the Great Pyramid, but they also got some things wrong. One of the first major historians to mention the pyramid was the ancient Greek historian Herodotus. He wrote about it around 430 BC, which was about 2,000 years after it was built. So this is not exactly a first-hand account. His information would have been from a variety of indirect sources, such as Egyptian officials, priests, locals, Greek immigrants, and others. He wrote that the Great Pyramid was built for Khufu, who was a tyrannical king. Here is how he described the pharaoh. Quote, Before Khufu was king, they told me, there was nothing but orderly rule in Egypt and the land prospered greatly. But then Khufu became king over them and brought them to every kind of suffering. He closed all the temples and he kept the priests from sacrificing there. Then he forced all the Egyptians to work for him. Some were ordered to bring stones from the stone quarries in the Arabian mountains all the way to the Nile, and others he forced to receive the stones after they'd been carried over the river in boats and to bring them to the Libyan mountains. End quote. The Greeks often viewed such grand buildings as the result of the cruel exploitation of the people. Herodotus further states, that a hundred thousand laborers worked on the building in three-month shifts, taking twenty years to build it. He also described an inscription on the outside of the pyramid which indicated the amount of radishes, garlic, and onions that the workers would have eaten while working on the pyramid. Around 60 B.C., Another ancient Greek historian, Diodorus, wrote about the Great Pyramid. 
Diodorus wasn't a fan of Herodotus, claiming Herodotus told marvelous tales and myths. Diodorus estimated the number of workers necessary to erect the Great Pyramid at about 360,000, which was almost four times more than Herodotus reported. They both did agree that it took about 20 years to build, was probably built under forced labor conditions, and that some type of strange menu for the workers was etched on the outside of it. Although long since eroded, Diodorus did describe that the pyramid was still covered with smooth casing stones during his lifetime. He speculated that the pyramid was built with the help of ramps, since no lifting tools had yet been invented. He explained that the ramps were removed after the structure was completed, so that would explain why there are no ramps there now. Around 25 BC, the Greek historian Strabo may have been the first to widely report the presence of an entry point and a passageway inside the pyramid. The English translation of his writings include this statement, quote, At a moderate height in one of the sides is a stone which may be taken out. When that is removed, there is a passage to the tomb. End quote. This may indicate that plundering of the contents of the pyramid may have already started by this time. Around 77 AD or CE, the Roman historian Pliny the Elder shared his curious thoughts about the Great Pyramid, which he referred to as a memorial of vanity. He argued that the structure had been created as a way to protect the riches of the pharaoh. Or, he mused, it was just a way to keep the lower classes occupied. He also postulated his own theories of how the large stones were moved into place. He suggested that large piles of salt and potassium nitrate were used as ramps, and then they were later washed away with water redirected from the nearby river. His other theory was that a bridge made out of bricks was used to put the stones in place, and then those bricks from the bridge were later used for nearby houses. Some writings from around 380 AD started spreading the rumor that the pyramids were built by biblical Joseph to store corn, wheat, and other grains. I even found a book published somewhat recently in 1885 that was trying to keep this old theory alive. Here's a passage from the book. Quote, The granite chest, or coffer without a lid, found in the king's chamber, 
was not a sarcophagus or a coffin, but simply a cohen measure and nothing else. It was placed in that chamber by the inspired builder Joseph, the great-grandson of Abraham the Hebrew, the friend of God. The pyramid was a gigantic granary holding corn, and this the measuring device by which he ascertained the quantity stored in it. The passages in the walls, called air channels by Egyptologists, were apertures through which the corn was thrown into the chamber from the outside. The grain was brought from the fields to the apertures up the steps before the casing stones were fitted to the outside. The casing stones were then polished to keep the contents secure from moth and mildew. End quote. So, what exactly is inside the pyramid? Well, let's find out by going on a journey through the interior. The original entrance is located on the northern side. It's not at ground level. Rather, it is built into the 19th layer of the pyramid at about 17 meters or 56 feet off the ground. From here, there is a descending passage which goes down through the pyramid and then into the bedrock underneath it. As you continue to walk downwards, you're getting deeper into the earth under the Great Pyramid. The passage then becomes level and continues to the lower chamber. This first chamber has a pit dug in the floor, and overall, the chamber appears to have been unfinished. Some historians suggest that this lower chamber was intended to be the original burial chamber, but Pharaoh Khufu later changed his mind and wanted it to be higher up in the pyramid. At the opposite end of the chamber is another passage, but it is a dead end. You have yet to figure out how to enter the body of the pyramid. Looking all around the lower chamber, you will finally and accurately conclude that there are no further passages out of the lower chamber. So, now you just turn around and head back up the passage that you walked down. As you near the original entrance, you look up and notice a square hole in the ceiling of the passage. You have now found the entry to the ascending passage. This would not have been so easy to find in ancient times. It was originally concealed with a slab of stone. Getting a boost, you climb up into the ascending passage. It slopes upward toward the middle of the pyramid. After a little bit, the width and the height of the passage increase greatly as it now becomes a section called 
the grand gallery. This wider grand gallery continues upward at the same angle as the ascending passage, but something else catches your eye before you continue upwards. On the right-hand side, there's a hole cut in the wall, which leads to a shaft. This shaft runs downwards and connects to the bottom portion of the descending passage that you first journey down into. It is believed that this was a ventilation shaft for the lower chamber. It may have also served as an escape shaft for the workers who slid the blocking stones of the ascending passage into place. While standing at the beginning of the Grand Gallery, you also notice a horizontal passage leading into the body of the pyramid. This level passage takes you to the second chamber, referred to as the Queen's Chamber. Standing inside this chamber, you look up at a pointed roof that is about six meters or 20 feet above you. In the north and south walls of the chamber are small holes that lead to upward slanting shafts. The holes were dug by a British engineer in 1872 who discovered those shafts. Although those shafts have been mostly explored, their purpose is still unknown. They didn't originally connect to the Queen's Chamber or to the outside. The British engineer discovered a black rock and some unknown tool at the end of one of those shafts. In 1993, a crawler robot showed that one of the shafts was blocked by limestone doors which had copper handles. In 2002, another robot drilled a hole in the shaft door and peeked through it with a small camera. They didn't see much though because the camera couldn't swivel around to get a good look. In 2011, a fiber optic swivel camera was used to further reveal what was behind the door. They were able to see hieroglyphs written in red paint and determine that the copper handles were just decorations on the outside of the door. The purpose of the shafts and small room is still unclear, though. Let's return to the start of the Grand Gallery, that wide corridor that continues sloping upwards. If you continue walking up that, then you'll reach the third and final chamber, the King's Chamber. It is similar in height and size as the Queen's Chamber and also has several mysterious shafts associated with it. Now these shafts do open to the outside, 
but they are not perfectly straight. So you won't be able to lie in the king's chamber and gaze at the stars. The initial belief was that they were air shafts for ventilation. But now they are believed to have been built to allow the king's spirit to rise to the heavens. Above the ceiling of the chamber are five compartments known as the relieving chambers. This name can be misleading. The relieving chambers were not built because the pharaoh had prostate issues and may need to relieve himself in the afterlife. Rather, they're called relieving chambers because they are believed to relieve the stress load of the rocks above the chamber so it didn't cave in. The only object in the king's chamber is a rectangular granite sarcophagus, one corner of which is broken. The sarcophagus is slightly larger than the ascending passage, which indicates that it must have been placed in the chamber before the roof was put in place. Unlike the fine masonry of the walls of the chamber, the sarcophagus is roughly finished, with saw marks visible in several places. This is in contrast with the finely finished and decorated sarcophagi found in other pyramids of the same period. It's been suggested that such a sarcophagus was intended but then it was lost in the river during its voyage. So a replacement was quickly made and used instead. Now, you may be wondering, where are all the treasures and artifacts that should be inside the pyramid? As you can guess, they've been plundered. In fact, tourists today don't enter the Great Pyramid through the original entrance, but rather through a tunnel created by robbers. In 820 AD, this robber's tunnel was created by a group of men with a battering ram. It begins at about ground level and continues straight until it connects with the beginning of the ascending passage. It is likely that the pyramid had already been plundered prior to the creation of the robber's tunnel in 820. Some believe that it may have even been plundered long before 430 BC, the time of Herodotus. It is even theorized that the robber's tunnel was initially created soon after the pyramid was built, but then it was resealed and rediscovered by others much later. As you can imagine, the Great Pyramid must have been the world's largest and simplest treasure map. Soon after it was built, there were thousands of workers who knew what it contained. They knew how to use stone-breaking tools 
and they knew the internal layout. Yeah. Announcing the completion of the Great Pyramid was like yelling, ready, set, go, to all the potential robbers in the area. So, who built this Great Pyramid, and how was it built? The 2.3 million limestone blocks used to create the pyramid are believed to have been transported from nearby quarries. Some of the largest stones in the pyramid are made of granite, which may have been transported from more than 800 kilometers or 500 miles away. Traditionally, ancient Egyptians created stone blocks by hammering wooden wedges into them and soaking the wedges with water. As the water was absorbed into the wood, the wedges expanded, causing the rock to crack. If the rock was soft limestone, then it could be further shaped with copper chisels, drills, and saws. If the rock was harder granite, then the stone blocks were created by slowly pounding them with dolerite rock and then drilling and sawing them with the aid of an abrasive, such as quartz sand. Once they were cut, they were carried by boat either up or down the Nile River to the pyramid. There isn't a uniform agreement on whether the blocks were dragged, lifted, or even rolled into place. The average block was 2.5 tons, and it is believed that eight men could move this weight over level land using a water-lubricated sludge system. Heavier blocks would have required even more men. For example, it would probably have taken 45 men to move a 16-ton stone block. Now, although eight men could probably drag a 2.5-ton block, moving that same size block up a ramp system to its final resting place in the pyramid would have required even more men per block. It is estimated that a 2.5-ton stone block needed 18 men to move it up a ramp. Surprisingly, it's believed they could move it up the ramp at a speed of one foot per second, or 18 meters per minute. Leveling the foundation was probably accomplished by the use of water-filled trenches. After all the stone blocks were in place, the Great Pyramid was surfaced by white casing stones. These stones were highly polished white limestone that created a smooth and slanted surface to the outside. In 1303, a massive earthquake loosened many of these outer casing stones, which were then carted away to build mosques and fortresses 
in nearby Cairo. In the early 1800s, many more casing stones were removed from the Great Pyramid to build the upper portion of an alabaster mosque in Cairo. Today, you can still see these limestone casings from the pyramid on these other structures. Later explorers reported massive piles of rubble at the base of the pyramid left over from the continuing collapse of the casing stones. Most of these casing stones on the ground were cleared away during continuing excavations of the site. Although, you can still view some remaining casing stones lying around the base of the pyramid today. But if you were to gaze upwards at the Great Pyramid itself, what you would see is the underlying core structure without its original casing stones. There also isn't much agreement on who did all the labor. The Greeks believed that slave labor was used, but modern discoveries made at nearby workers' camps suggest that it was built instead by tens of thousands of skilled workers. One theory is that the laborers consisted of two groups of a hundred thousand men. These men were further divided into groups of twenty thousand men, each of a particular skill. One modern construction management study estimated that the pyramid could have been built by just forty thousand total men, with about fourteen thousand men working actively on a daily basis. This study also estimated that the pyramid could have been built in ten years rather than the commonly believed length of twenty years. This is the end of the episode. Thank you for listening to my podcast.